life-transforming, life-changing. We pray it. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You can be seated this morning. Thank you, Reagan. Thank you, Melissa. It's fun to serve with family. Um, in just a minute, Ben will be up here and uh, help us uh, along our way this morning. But it is good to see each and every one of you here, and uh, I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Uh, we are going to continue our series, our summer series on the attributes of God this morning. And uh, I hope it's been a blessing to you, giving you something to sink your teeth into each and every week, something to, to take home. Uh, we've, we've been saying that it, it may not be that we're answering all of your questions as far as who God is each and every week, but we're giving you something to talk about at least and something to help you grow. And uh, we believe that what we know and what we believe is important. In fact, A.W. Tozer says that what we think about God is the most important thing about us. Just let that sink in for a second. I know we've got some guests here, uh, some of that maybe haven't been tracking with us. What you think about God is the most important thing about you. It affects everything about your life. And we want to be healthy. We want to be uh, vibrant believers. And so we got to know what we believe and know why we believe it. And so that's what we've been trying to unpack this summer. We started the series saying that God is a person. How many are thankful that God, He desires a personal relationship with each and every one of us? He's not some force. He's not some cosmic um, uh, you know, thing out in space that we can't get our fingers on. We can grasp who God is with His help. He is not a robot. He's not a force. He is a person. We also said that God is good. Everyone say that with me. God is good. And we said last week, as we were looking at justice and mercy, that that is probably one of the most terrifying truths found in Scripture, that God is good. You say, terrifying, that God is good. What? Well, the reality is if God is good, that means that we are not good. And we need God's justice and His mercy. We talked about that uh, last week. And we also said that God is omni. I know I'm kind of going around here. Jessica, you can follow me. That God is omnipotent and omnipresent and omniscient. God is these things. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. There's nowhere you can escape His presence. And He, all, he knows, and then he's, there's nothing too difficult for Him to accomplish as well. And so whether you're sick or whether you need a financial miracle, whatever you need in your life, God is able to perform it. And there's nothing that is easier for God than the next thing. It's as easy for God to, to heal a common cold as it is for Him to heal cancer. It's as easy for him to raise someone from the dead as it is to heal uh, a, a broken heart. God, nothing is too difficult. He is all-powerful. And this morning, we can rest in who he is. And what's interesting about this series is we want to take these things, these attributes of God, and we want to say, okay, how do these affect our lives? What are the implications that God is these things? And then we've said that our goal for this series is that we would walk out of here thinking more about God. I believe it's a success that if around the water cooler this, this week you'll be talking about 
our topic this morning, the attributes of God. If you're in your family, as you're sitting around uh, having cereal in the morning, you could talk about God. And we may not answer all the questions, like I said, but we want you to take away some nuggets of truth. And maybe we'll even create some more questions in your mind. But I believe that that is a healthy place to be. The second thing is that we would desire more of Jesus. In this process, as we understand who God is, that we would desire more of Him and we become more like Him. I believe healthy believers and I believe a healthy church, uh, they have a good understanding about who God is and we can apply that in our lives. It'll help us to be strong. It'll help us to continue to grow. And today we've got another attribute that we want to release to you. And uh, what's interesting about this attribute, it has been called the attribute of all attributes. It's mentioned more in Scripture than any other attribute of who God is. In fact, 637 times in Scripture it's mentioned about who God is. Does anyone want to take a guess of what attribute we're going to talk about this morning? God's holiness. You got it, Dennis. Did you see my notes? Did Mary tell you? No, you're right. It's God's holiness. Everyone say with me, God is holy. God is holy. And turn with me to Revelation chapter 4. Interesting set of scripture here. John, the, uh, the apostle John, has this revelation of God, and he, and he captures it here in Revelation chapter 4. And we'll start in verse 1. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Pretty cool. God... The, the Spirit's uh, talking to, to John. At once, it says he was in the Spirit. The Spirit of God was all around him. And there before him was a throne in heaven, and someone was sitting on it. And it goes on to describe who was sitting. It was the God of, of, of Israel. It was Jesus who was sitting on the throne. Verse, uh, we'll pick up in verse 6. It says, In the center around the throne there were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in the front and in the back. The first living creature was like a lion, and the second like an ox. The third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. And then listen, what were these creatures doing around the throne of God? Jesus is standing there or sitting there on the on the throne there's these creatures if you can imagine even what that would look like and it says this it says day and night day and night they never stopped saying hold on a second if you want to know what God what heaven might be like this is a picture of heaven what is happening now and will happen for eternity Day and night, the angels, they said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. God is holy. Scripture demands that we understand that God is holy. And it's interesting that with all the other attributes, we don't see the emphasis three times, each time with more emphasis. Holy, holy, holy. We don't see God is good, good, good. Or God is mercy, mercy, mercy. Or God is love, love, love. But God is holy. And His holiness is perfect. It's so perfect. It's so pure. 
And I believe that it demands that kind of emphasis. And, uh, and in heaven, we will resound. When we get to heaven, we will join with the angels and we will say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Isn't that exciting? That we get a chance to do that, but we get a chance to practice that here on, on this side of eternity as well. So what does holy mean? Holy simply means to be set apart. It's easy, it's simple, to be set apart. So God is set apart, completely set apart, fully separate from sin and all impurity. Throughout Scripture, we see that God's name is holy. His power is holy. His spirit is holy. His temple is holy. His promises are holy. His ground that we walk on is holy. His words, his angels, even his, his people are described as holy. Even his eyes are holy. And what that means is he is set apart. His name is set apart. His power is set apart. There is no one like our God. There's no one like him. God is the highest degree of perfection. He is the highest degree of perfection. Now, in, in our earthly minds, we think of you know, perfection. We think of things that are perfect. We may look at a little baby and say, oh, oh, she's perfect, isn't she? Or he's perfect, right? But we know that they're not. That doesn't even compare. It doesn't even begin to compare. Or in sports, a pitcher can throw a perfect game, pitch a perfect game. But we know that there's still, uh, that's not even close to what God means. What we're talking about here is something set apart that no one is holy like God is holy. And in the ancient world, in Scripture, we see that they taught their kids about God's holiness. It was a priority that that Yahweh was unique in the sense that all the other gods that that would have been in the culture, none of them claimed to be holy. But Yahweh God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he would say, I am holy. And what's awesome about it is that they would teach in Leviticus. Uh, The the children would memorize Leviticus. And in there, on many, many occasions, it would talk about God's holiness. But not only that God is holy, but as his people, we and they were, were supposed to be holy as well. Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 20. Leviticus chapter 20, we see God describing through his word, Uh, what God's people are supposed to be. It says this, it says, You are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy. And I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. So not only is God holy, he is set apart, but his people were to be set apart. And they would ingrain that into the culture into their, the memory of their children. It was to be on their, on their uh, foreheads and on their arms and on their legs. They were supposed to talk about it, that God is holy. There is no one like him. But then we are called to be set apart, to be used by his glory. We see that again in uh, 1 Peter. Everyone turn there with me. And this is a, uh, you know, talking, uh, Jesus said to be holy, uh, of course, in, in the Gospels. But it says this in 1 Peter, Peter's writing to the church, he's saying this. He says, but just as he, 
who has called you is holy, talking about Jesus, so just as Jesus is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Referencing the Old Testament, referencing the gospel. That is our call to be holy. And God allows us to partake in his holiness. And I'll tell you, what's important for us to understand is that that is what God, his heart is for us this morning. And I'm going to ask Ben to come and continue to unpack the idea of God's holiness and what that means for us this morning. So you're on, brother. <laughs> All right. Good morning, Gateway. Um, such a privilege and blessing to be here uh, sharing with you this morning. Uh, Ben's been a, a great friend and great cousin, and uh, we set this up so Melissa and I could come and have a beach day today. Yeah, <laughs> um, but no, in, in all honesty, as, as uh, Ben and I have been uh, talking, communicating about um, what today was going to look like, and especially how we're going to breach this topic. Um, you know, a lot of things came to mind, especially for myself. I work in an industry that deals on a daily basis with, um, with church life, people who are in church. Um, at Covenant Eyes, we uh, work primarily with people who, who are value-based, um, who grow up with, um, try to raise their families with values um, that reflect the Ten Commandments, the teachings of Jesus, and so forth. Um, and so the primary issue that we deal with at Covenant Eyes is, um, is a defense against online pornography. So how do we protect our children uh, from the dangers facing them online? And as men, how do we protect ourselves from temptation? Right now, about 76 percent of Christian men deal with online temptations. Um, this is a very real issue that we face as men every time we get on our computer, get on our iPad, get on our, our iPhone, Android, the plethora of ways that we can connect to the Internet. Um, we're faced with the potential to be tempted and lured into viewing um, online pornography, which is um, a debased counterfeit of an amazing thing that God's given us in a monogamous sexual relationship with our spouse. And so this is something that, has, uh, that, that I deal with on a daily basis with my company. I talk with, with tons and tons of mothers, spouses, fathers who are trying to protect their families, many who are, in, um, who are dealing with very, very hard situations at home where children are running and, and uh, you know, are disobedient and they, they just want to look at pornography and, and get involved in all kinds of things online. And there, uh, we all know there are a lot of opportunities to do that. So today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come from the perspective on the topic of holiness as people of God, as uh, Pastor Ben said, um, we're to be holy. We're to be a people who are set apart. And uh, if, you, if we read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, I just want to share this with you real quick because I think this will give us a preface um, and, and kind of follow up on what Pastor Ben said here. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now are the people of God who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Amen. Amen. Um, Pastor Ben touched on a, uh, a passage from the book of Revelation. It's, uh, it's an amazing story. As uh, you know, this whole scene is, coming un, un, is unfolding. The 
angels in heaven, and, you know, John is, uh, is beholding this glorious, you know, crazy scene with all this stuff that's going down that, uh, you know, it's really beyond our comprehension. It's like, how do you unpack this scene? Um, you kind of you kind of go bankrupt when you're trying to really put words to it, and so John explains it the best that he can. And so um, what he's seeing and what he's what he is hearing for sure is what the angels are crying around the throne: "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts." And uh, this is a this is a throwback to uh, something that actually happened. Um, this is this is a common occurrence when you come into the presence of God. This is something that is emphatically impressed upon your heart. Maybe you might not hear it, but when you come into the presence of God, it's something that uh, undoubtedly becomes real to you. You realize that you have come into the presence of a holy God who's entirely set apart and in a very real way is calling you to be set apart as well. Um, if you would go with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, and... Uh, Beginning in verse 1, we're going to read through um, the whole chapter. And it's not very long, so you're going to enjoy this. Verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who shall go for us? Then I said, Here, here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their ears, and hear with their, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant. The houses are without a man. The land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. But yet, a tenth will be in it, and will return and be for consuming as a terebinth tree or as an oak. And I love this last part here because this is really, this is the anchor. This is what gives us hope. He says, whose stump remains when it is cut down, so the holy seed shall be its stump. Amen? Amen. That is hope for us today, friends. You know, what's happening here is uh, Isaiah, he's a prophet. Okay, he's been prophesying for the previous five chapters. He's been, you know, saying, hey, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. And then we come to chapter 6, and it's like, bam, all this stuff begins to unfold. He sees God high and lifted up on a throne, sitting in glory, and, and he has this incredible experience. And all of a sudden, you know, what Isaiah thought he knew, he comes to find out that, hey, there's more to it, way more to it. And so this morning, I want to propose to you that in our lives, in the way that we go about our day-to-day business, um, things can become very common. 
can, be, can become very mundane, very um, ordinary. Uh, whether it's the way that we deal with our family, whether it's the way that we deal with our finances, whether it's, it's how we interact with people in our job place, um, we can be very much uh, mechanic about the way that we go about life. It can become very common and, and very mundane. And what I want to propose to us this morning is that God is not a common God, nor are we a common people. Therefore, our lives should not be common, should not be about common things. It should be an uncommon expression of an uncommon God who's shown an uncommon grace and kindness to us in the face of Jesus Christ, which in our lives will produce uncommon, amazing, miraculous things. We, that, we should have that expectation. In the life of Isaiah, he, his reign spans throughout several kings, and it begins with King Uzziah. Uzziah was an amazing king. I mean, he, he brought Judah out of a time of peril and a time where they were just you know, afflicted by the nations around them, and he restored order to the kingdom. He sought God with all of his heart and uh, rebuilt the ruins. He cast down the high places where idolatry had been occurring, and he really was the it king. Like he, you know, of all the kings from the time of David and Solomon, comes to Uzziah, and Uzziah is the man. Like he really, like people, are like man, we have a godly king. Uzziah is the man, and so we find out. Um, in the book of uh, Second Chronicles, you can read it. Um, Uzziah says that after he had done all these things, in his strength, he then entered into the house of the Lord. When he had become strong, when he had become puffed up, he entered into the house of the Lord. And he assumed the house of God to be a common place. And I know many of us can have that same kind of experience when we we come into church and we just kind of, you know, we come here, who knows, you know, for whatever reason, hopefully it's to to come to meet God, but it can become a very common place. And Uzziah comes into the house of God and and he assumes that this place is common as it it seemed. He, He has some right, some authority to come before holy God. And now offer up incense, offer up this offering to this holy God. And, um, and things don't go as planned for Uzziah. Uzziah is apprehended by priests. They say, Uzziah, no, you can't be in here. This is not right for you. And uh, leprosy breaks out on Uzziah's face. And Uzziah is, is driven out of the temple. This is the king of Judah being manhandled by the priests saying, get out now. He's kicked out of the, out of the house of God. He has leprosy for the rest of his life, lives in isolation, and is cut off from his own people. And uh, today, I just, uh, as we look at the majesty of God, I want to kind of marry together majesty with mercy. Because we see in this passage here, this, this story of Isaiah, we see a God who is high and lifted up, who is far beyond our comprehension, at, in, in the presence of whom people become undone, become completely obliterated, and they they realize that they know, I am unworthy to stand in in the presence of this holy God. But as we unpack this, and I want to touch on three things today. The first thing I want to talk about is what the holiness of God does in us, and it and I think it's maybe the one thing that keeps people from coming to church and, and maybe coming into a relationship with God, but it has to be dealt with. It has to be 
It has to be done before we can go any deeper into the things of God and what he has for our life. Um, we see here that Isaiah is undone. Now, how many of you guys have ever been in a place where you just felt like condescended? Like, you ever been in a social situation where, like, you know, for me, um, I'll just tell a quick story. Um, before Melissa and I got married, we were looking at uh, stuff for our wedding. We were at the mall. I think she, we were looking at tuxedos, and she was picking out my tuxedo. And uh, I was, like, just kind of shopping around. I stopped inside the, the sunglass hut. Have you guys ever been inside the sunglass hut? Okay. Um, I was not prepared for what was about to happen to me. Um, I'm a $20 um, aviator sunglass guy. I go to Walmart, pick them up, and, you know, lose them later. Yep, yep. And so I'm in this place, and so... This guy comes up, and he's wearing sunglasses, his $200 sunglasses on his head. He's not wearing them because he's inside, right? And so I'm, I'm, like, being approached by this guy. And uh, he's saying, what, what are you, he says to me, what are you looking for? You know, what are you, uh, what are you, like, what are you doing in here? <laughs> and uh, I know he maybe wanted to be helpful, but there was an air of condescension that I, I sensed immediately. And uh, as, as our time and our interaction began to unfold, um, he began to explain to me, me with my, um, my $20 aviators that I got at Walmart hanging from my shirt and uh, his $200 uh, Ray-Bans hanging from his head, um, that there was some disparity between us. And, uh, and I said, you know, I just, I've never been in here before. I'm just curious about these sunglasses and, you know, what really makes them different. And, um, and he goes on to tell me, oh, yeah, people come in here twice a year and buy sunglasses because they fly off their head when they're, when they're out on their, their ski-doo. And I'm like, well, I don't have a ski-doo, and I certainly can't afford $200 to buy a pair of sunglasses. And so the whole context for which uh, why I should buy these sunglasses or even, like, faintly, rem- like, remotely relate to this guy is way beyond me. And so... As everything wrapped up, I walked out feeling dumb. And uh, some of you may have felt like this. Maybe go to a restaurant, maybe go to a banquet, you're underdressed, and everybody else is just like, who's this guy underdressed? Who's this girl? You know, she didn't wear makeup today. And uh, you just feel kind of like, ugh, like I wish I had not experienced that. And um, to some degree, that's what's happening here with Isaiah. And uh, it's not that God's intentionally trying to make him feel dumb, but there is a completeness and a wholeness and a perfection to God that when we try to encounter him in our assumed perfection, our assumed togetherness, that we've somehow got it together, uh, that comes undone quickly. And it needs to come undone quickly because the quicker you realize the vacancies in your life and you admit them and you're honest about them, the quicker you can be filled with the glory of God. And so this is what's unfolding here. So the first thing that, that I want to talk about is how the, how the holiness of God reveals and convicts us of sin and righteousness. It reveals the barren places in our life where he wants to come in and occupy. And it also casts down the idols and the common things in our life that we try to present up to God as somehow being worthy of his presence and his time. But the minute we begin to realize, hey, there's nothing in me that is of any worth, of any value, and that everything that we have in him, all the attributes, all the perfection, perfection squared, is what I call holiness, that's, that's for us. But we can't come to him with the pretense that we've got our stuff together. We have to come to him broken. Uh, Isaiah chapter 57, uh, verse 15 says, says this about people who 
come to know God. It says, and, the, and where God dwells, he says, um, for thus says the high and lofty one, he who inhabits eternity. I dwell with him who lives, I dwell with him, I dwell in a high and holy place with them who have a lowly heart, a contrite spirit, people who are broken. That's who I dwell with. That's the high place. When you come to that place where you're broken and you realize, hey, I need God. There's a disparity here, and I need help. I need healing. I need, I need restoration in my life. You begin to sense those things. They become real to you. God says, hey, I'm down here with you too. And I want to show you how he's down here with us. Uh, go with me to Hebrews, and this is beautiful, because this is, as we start to bring things in, we realize, man, yeah, there's this great gulf, there's this great disparity between us and God. And uh, we look at Isaiah, and we see that, hey, yeah, yeah, there's conviction of sin. Yeah, stuff's being aired out here. Isaiah's undone. But what does God do? He sends his angels down. They grab a coal from the altar. They go to Isaiah. He just admits, hey, I've, I'm a man of unclean lips. I've got to rip, there are things in my life I've got to get right. What God does, he sends his angels down, takes the coal, cleanses Isaiah's lips, and now he is purged of his sins. He's made right. I want to see how that happens now in the New Testament as a, as a faith family, as people together. How do we, like, what do we think about when we think of the holiness of God, and how do we apprehend that? How does that become life to us? Um, Hebrews chapter, chapter 10 and verse 12. You want to turn there with me? We'll actually start in verse 11. This is what else the holiness of God uh, does for us. It reveals Jesus Christ as our righteousness, that he is our covering. Not only does he cover us, but he cleanses us. And so he, he puts his life on top of ours. And we're able to be hidden in him. And this is really, the writer of Hebrews just, just nails it here. Um, verse 11. And every priest stands ministering daily and, and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But, the, but this man, after he had once, had once offered sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from, this, from that time waiting till his enemies are made a footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified or set apart or being made holy. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in, my, in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering of sin for sin. Hallelujah. He puts his spirit in us. He puts his holiness in us. Now that we know what is right, what is true, what pleases the Lord, that is put inside of our heart. And it should capture us because we now can behold the beauty and majesty of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Here's how it works. God the Father sent his son Jesus to this world so that we could behold the beauty and the glory and the majesty of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was died, crucified on a cross, was raised again on the third day, spent time with his people, showing and proving to them over the period of 40 days, convincing proofs that he was in fact the risen Savior. He ascended into heaven, said, hey, wait, I'm going to send my promise, the Holy Spirit. He's going to come down, he's going to comfort you, he's going to show you things that you never knew before, and it's going to be awesome. Um, John chapter 16 and uh, verse 8 through 12. I'll just paraphrase it real quick. But Jesus is meeting with his disciples and he's going through and he's showing them 
um, look, these are the things that are going to happen. I'm going to send my spirit. And he's going to convict the world of sin and righteousness. And he's going to show you many things. This has not yet happened, but it will happen. So be ready. And so there's a sense of anticipation that I believe is intrinsic to the body of Christ, of anticipating the things of God. When, when we know that what God has said will come to pass, Jesus said, look, I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to be raised again. He did that. Then he said, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to ascend into heaven. He did that. And then I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He did that. Showed up. Jesus, Jesus' word is faithful and true, and we can trust in it. And so the holiness of God in Christ is our covering. And so that allows us to see God in the face of Jesus. It's not a mixed message anymore. And that's why we should desire Jesus. That's why we should desire Jesus. It's like every single one of us says this in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, that God has put eternity in the hearts of men that we should seek him, that we should seek him. There's a sense and a longing for God that every one of us has. It's been, comp- it's been complicated and compromised by sin. And so when we realize, hey, this is the only thing that's keeping us from knowing God is sin, and that's been dealt with in the life of Jesus, that uh, I can be forgiven of all these things in Christ, hey, I'm going to let go of that, and I'm going to pursue God, because in Christ, I can have everything that God has given to Jesus. You know, my, my dream is that, and we live in such a laid-back culture, such a common culture, my desire is to see people come in to church as they are, and leave as he is. Leave as he is. And I believe that we can do that today. I believe that that is our, that's our heritage. That's what God wants from us. Man, you get Isaiah here at the end of, of his, the, his epiphany, his realization of the glory of God. Man, he can't, he can't leave the same. There's no way he's going to walk out of, that, out of that presence of God and just go about his business as usual. But he says, after seeing this and after un- like understanding there is a word, there is, a, there is glory to unfold in this world. There is stuff that this world needs to know. And, and as we think about you know, the commonness of our life and how ordinary and mundane things can be, Jesus Christ came here to give us an uncommon life, to, to live un- an uncommon life where he's going around healing people, setting people free from these things, and just to give us a foretaste of things to come. And we should expect no less in our life, in our relationships, in our workplace, in our homes, and in our marriages. Man, there is so much that needs to be, that needs to be tuned, that needs to be redeemed from common to uncommon. And we need with Isaiah to be able to say this, I'm here, God. I'm here. I get it. I see your glory. I see your holiness. I see your majesty. I see the love that you've given us. And I I see the attributes and the, 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 the things that I've always assumed in my life that they're now real because you sent Jesus into this world and we can look to him and know that, that this is your desire, this is your will for us, that we, that we know him and that we abide in him and that through him we have holiness written in our hearts, written on our lives. Amen? Man, God wants to change our hearts. He wants us to be holy as he is holy. But we can't do that on our own. There's a process and praise God we see it in part, we see it unfolded in the life of Isaiah, this, this coming, this, this exposing of sin. Praise God. You know, we make too big of a deal out of sin 
It's so common in our world. Why are we so ashamed of it? When we come before God, when all God wants to do is say, hey, look, how's that working for you? Yeah, not too great. See, your life, it's a mess. I have a greater path for you. Friends, God's shoulders are not too big. Are not, are not, your sins are not too big for God's shoulders. He has infinite grace. And he is long-suffering. But there comes a time when we do have to move out of our place of complacency and move into that place of holiness where he is. There is a, a whole world outside waiting to know the glory of God. And he has trusted us with this. Who are we to go about life as usual? We leave here today. I pray that, that we do leave as he is, not just as we were when we came in here. And uh, we're going to spend some time in worship. And, and I want to consider this. Um, you know, this is a party. Like, church is amazing. Like, it's fun. You know, why else would you be here on a Sunday morning? Okay, think about it. You could be out at Lake Michigan. You could be out camping, wherever. But you're in church, and I believe that all of us are here with a, a sense of expectancy. And my heart, my desire is that God would use this time to bring to our knowledge common areas in our life that he wants to move, that he wants to address, and that he wants to unpack in our life. And so as we consider this, this party, let's not, know, let's, let's not just come here and, you know, enjoy the fellowship, enjoy you know, the love, the, the kindness, and forget who this is all about. The mercy of God mar- married to his majesty. And we can see that unfolded in the life of Jesus. He's the one that has invited us here today. He's sent you a personal invitation to come and to know him. You know, let's, not, let's not leave here today until we've gotten a hold of that reality. Amen? Amen. Let's spend some time in worship. If you uh, close your eyes and bow your heads, just want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit right now. God, I thank you for this time. and God, I thank you for your word. Your word is life. Your word is truth. And uh, God, we come before you this morning. Um, God, praying to be in that lowly place. And uh, some of us need to get back there. Some of us are already there. Um, but that's where you are. Your word says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. So God, give us eyes to see today. Give us ears to hear. If you're here today and you, and you don't know Jesus, haven't made him your personal Savior, his grace is here and his, his grace is sufficient wherever you're at. Um, you just need to begin things today and God will unpack it for you. As you walk with him, he wants you to, to come to him simply as you are. And you will, by his grace, leave as he is. If, if you want to know him today, go ahead and slip up your hand. I want to pray with you, pray for you. That's you. Amen. I believe his grace is here. It's completely uncommon. And uh, I believe that he has an uncommon purpose for each one of us today. And if you um, sense in your spirit, maybe there are, there are some barren places in your life, maybe some common places that you need God to rise up and and address those areas and say, God, I need you here. Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's in um, the workplace. God wants to bring his uncommon power, his uncommon grace into the common areas of our life. If that's you, go ahead and, and lift up your hand. I want to pray with you that, 
man, God's ways and his works are manifested in your life. That's you. Go ahead and stand. Go ahead and stand. We're going to spend some time in worship. Let the Holy Spirit come and just reveal to us his truth. In Jesus' name. Who has the power to raise the dead? And who can save us from our sins? He is our hope, our righteousness.